Oh, Father God, we thank you that you are a father and a God who hears the cries of the poor and the powerless. And God, you're more than just a God who hears, but you're a God who has come, come as your son to rescue us and to give us life and to empower us and to heal us and to make us whole. Oh, Spirit of the living God, because you love us and because of the character of who you are as Father, Son, and Spirit, would you come into this room and would you fill it with your presence so that once again, we who are broken can be filled so that we could do more than just sing, but that we can go, go in your name, fill us up so that you could send us out to a world that's like us, broken and needs to hear the good news of a God who loves and a God who gives and a God who rescues and a God who is just. So God, would you come and reign in our hearts today in this church for your glory. The things that are said and done that are true and contain the good news of Jesus, use those things to to make us whole, to fill us up and to make us more like Jesus. God, the things that are wrong are just my opinion. May they fall away and be forgotten. May we see Jesus and his beauty and fall in love with him. God, challenge us and encourage us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Et tu brute, or et tu brute. It's a famous line of a Shakespeare play. It's classic Romeo and Juliet. It's, it's Caesar's last words as he is going to be killed in a conspiracy and he sees the face of one who he thought was the trusted friend, his closest confidant, Brutus. And he says, et tu brute, basically translating, even you, Brutus, and you too, You too, Brutus? Kind of saying, I expected this from my enemies. I expected this from those who hate me. But I didn't expect it. Didn't see it coming from those who were closest to me, like you, Brutus. A too, Brute. Is it not true? The wounds of those who are supposed to love us, the wounds of those who are closest to us, isn't it true that they they cut the deepest? Isn't it true that those are the ones that are really the most painful? I mean, we live in a fallen world. We, we, we expect to have our enemies uh, mock us and, and ridicule us and hurt us. But what about those who are the closest to us? And that's the pain that, that, that's most troubling. I know you've been there. I know you've probably said that. Who, who have you said? And you? And you? I mean, at whose hands... Uh, have caused you the deepest wounds and and concerns. I guarantee it's someone who was closest to you. I mean, Nehemiah has been amazingly leading God's people. Uh, He's been leading them through, and they have endured a lot. They really, it's amazing. They keep on working in the midst of some terrible work conditions. I mean, we see, we have seen that the enemies and they're surrounding God's people. They're all around him and they continually taunt and ridicule God's people. But you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. But they do hurt. 
And, and God's enemies, they're, they're mocking God and mocking his people. But, but listen, their verbal taunts have gotten worse. It's become physical threats. And not just physical threats, but, but this, this enemy that's around them. They said, by stealth, we're going to come and kill you. You're not going to hear about it. You're not going to know. But physical threats are, are now on the rise. So Nehemiah, those work conditions. Plus, it was just the rubble. I mean, what they had to work through. I mean, these were broken people who, who felt broken. You know when you're down, it's hard to, to get confidence? You know when you're on a, on a roll that's negative, it's just hard sometimes to pull yourself up by the bootstraps? I mean, this is God's people. They've been broken again and again and again and again. And now they have an enemy right in their face. And they look at the rubble. I mean, all the things that's around them. And they're thinking, oh my goodness, what an amazing task. And yet God's spirit continually wells up. And continually through the leadership of Nehemiah reminds them things like this. God's hands on us. Isn't that good news? I mean, God is with us. Isn't that good news? God is for us. And what God is in, he's going to complete. So they've endured so much. And now Nehemiah, they're going to have the worst of all. And it's the internal conflict. It's those wounds from inside. It's their own people. And what their own people are doing that is now threatening all that God is doing. I mean, chapter 5 of Nehemiah is just focusing on this injustice and how Nehemiah led God's people into, in and through this sinfully crippling situation. Because it wasn't the cries from their enemies that were so terribly heard and so much anger and angst with it. It was the cry of the people. And the reality was, it was the people's own hands that were causing this great injustice with God's people. Nehemiah, it's an amazing book in the Bible. Uh, although, again, many years ago, it gives us so many ways about our own life, how to practically live, so many great keys of our church, how to practically live as a body of Christ. And there's three things you can follow along in the bulletin if you'd like. Three things that we're going to see clearly out of Nehemiah. And there's, here, here they are. One is we have to be a people. We are God's people. We have to be a people who fight for justice. We got to be a people. We can't just sing about it, as we just heard. We got to go and do something about it. And basically, becoming a church that hears the cry of the poor and the powerless. That's God's call to us. Secondly, we have to be a church that repents over injustice especially any injustice that we have caused and, and really repent over sin. And, and Nehemiah just shows us an amazingly clear picture. You want biblical repentance? You want to know what it, it feels like to be set free of that burden of sin? You want to know what it looks like? And he's going to give us in just a few verses an amazing picture that we can look, up, look at and we can hold up to our lives, the lives of our individual lives and the lives of our church and say, do we get this repentance thing? Because God's calling us to, to repent, uh, become a church that repents over sin and restores that which is broken. And thirdly, we have to live in righteousness. We have to live our lives. God is holy. I mean, God is just. Uh, he is amazingly filled with grace and mercy to forgive us. Isn't that good news? But he doesn't change his character. He does forgive us and he's washed us and cleansed us. And now he says, you know, I'm holy and I'm just. And my people are to be holy and just. That, that we're to be the group of people here on earth that model who he is. Of any place on earth that you should go to see those who are bowing to Jesus as king and living according to his authority. It's us. 
Because our great God is holy. Because our great God is just. We must become more and more a people who love holiness. And who love justice. And live righteous lives. Basically becoming a church without selfish ambition or vain conceit. Amazingly like Nehemiah was. The first thing is this. Becoming a church that hears the cry of the powerless. This is how chapters 5 starts. The first five verses is an unpacking of a hearing of a cry. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. It says the cry includes the wives. I want you to picture probably most of the men. They're, they're out on the wall working. And the wives are at home. And they're seeing what's happened. The injustice is happening. So this cry is, is, is being lifted up from all the people. But it's also being lifted up from the wives. And those who see what's happening to their families. Several years ago, Katie and I had one of these uh, trips of a lifetime. We were able to go to Germany and to Austria for a few days just together, the two of us. And we flew into Munich. And again, I, I hate flying long distance. I'm never comfortable on a plane for the shortest amount of times. And if you're flying overseas, I, I, I'm always, I'm going to be more grouchy than I normally am. I mean, I'm just uncomfortable. And, you know, you got that jet lag thing and you land. And the first thing we did is we got into a little car. And I tell you, it was like a, it was like a matchbox car. You had I've got to fold up to get in that thing. I think it was great mileage, but it was this really, really small little deal. And we left the Munich airport and we were going to make our way. But the, the place we went first and the place that was very close to Munich was Dachau concentration camp. And so you can imagine you get off a plane and you're on vacation and you, you get a car and you're not really far at all from, from uh, uh, Munich is this concentration camp. And, and we go and, and the, really the amazing thing is, is the camp is really close to the town that, uh, uh, that the train station, the center of the train station, it's only like two or three miles from this concentration camp. Have you ever been to one? I don't know how many of y'all been to Auschwitz or, or Dachau or, or wherever, but my goodness, what an evil place. And, and, and though you've seen the pictures and, and you've heard the stories, I mean, to be there and to, to know what was happening and to kind of see the barracks and just to think of, can, can man really be this depraved? Can we really treat one another this way? And really what wells up inside of you is like, I just passed through town. I mean, how, how did they not know? How did they not know? I mean, how did they not know that this was happening in their town? Um, how did they not, listen, how did they not see it? Or, or even worse, how did they not smell it? I mean, you go and you see where they're burning the bodies and you've got you to know that the smoke is going on. How did they not smell it? How did they not know it? How did they not see it? How did they not feel it? Well, when these camps were liberated, uh, liberation of, of camps like Dachau, uh, many of the American soldiers brought in the townspeople. They brought the townspeople and they, they marched them through. They said, you know what? You should have known. You should have seen. You should have heard. You should have smelled. How did you miss it? Really, oftentimes, it's true the church. When we're broken and we're needy and those around us, the question could be, how did you not know? How did you not hear? How did you not see? How did you not feel? How could it actually happen that we didn't know? This was happening with Nehemiah's uh, 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 people. I mean, right in the midst of all that was happening, they were crying out, uh, crying out, saying, see us, hear us, feel us. This is killing us. They didn't know. Orangewood. 
is God's love people before time began, is those peculiar people that the blood of Christ was shed for, to those of us that God has given us the Holy Spirit, to those that He has redeemed and brought back to Himself, we must hear the cries of the poor. We must be in the lives of those who are poor and powerless for Him. And we cannot say, sitting here in Maitland, we cannot say, sitting here in suburbia, we just didn't know. We just didn't hear. Listen, when times get tough, it affects all of us. And certainly times are tough. When times get tough, it definitely affects all of us, but it disproportionately affects the poor. And that was true in Nehemiah's day. It's true for us as well. And Nehemiah was experiencing, guys, people were experiencing a double whammy. And here's what it was. I mean, everybody was involved in a work project. Every hand on deck. Everyone had left their fields, left their vineyards, left their jobs. Everyone was working. So they're not making a living. Nowhere it says to us in Nehemiah that he paid them. I mean, these people are doing God's work right now and they don't seem to be being paid for it. So they're blue collar people, many of them, left their jobs working nonstop. We talked about it last week. I mean, from dusk to dawn, they're out there working. They can't be doing two jobs. This is their only job, working like crazy and not getting paid. And you ready for this? And then then in some craziness, how in the world can God send a famine? (laughs) I mean... Isn't that difficult? You want know, to say these are these are things that uh Okay, we have a doctor. I know we have a couple here. Hey, let's pray. Um, Father God, you're a God who is a loving God and in control of all things. Uh, Father God, we pray that uh, uh, you would give wisdom and sustain uh, uh, health. Uh, Father God, for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. We ask your richest blessing in health. And Father God, uh, you're a sovereign God. These things happen in your timing, Father God. And I thank you for the care um, that we can receive. And God, um, this was a part of your plan today. So we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. It's okay. You know, uh, I, I want to try to redeem the best uh, we can and, and just be realistic here. Um, I'm, you know, I'm excited about what God put on my heart, but it's, it's, it's obviously he had something a little different. I think we're going to be fine, thank God. Um, you know, I, I, the, the gist of what I really wanted to have us see is that, that Nehemiah had to deal with a situation that was most painful because it was internal. I mean, he dealt really well with his enemies. But all of a sudden, there was a cry from within and it was from in right there. It was, just, it was just inside the family. And what was happening was an injustice. It was an injustice because there was this double whammy. I mean, there was just, somehow God allowed a famine to come in the midst of great work. Isn't that, isn't that somehow like God? Can somebody just not say, what in the world, God? I mean, can we not have a famine right now? <laughs> you know, we're doing work. We're out there, we're, we're working nonstop. And yet, they're, they're enduring a famine because we live in a fallen world, a broken world. And, uh, um, not only that, uh, um, they were working, they couldn't make money. So you had, you had people saying this, you had, you had those who had kids and didn't have homes, they couldn't feed them. Can you imagine as a parent how that feels? You had nothing to leverage. 
You had nothing in your pocket, and your kids are hungry. And so they're crying out for help. Man, if the church doesn't hear that. I, I, I've been to the point where I've, I actually I, I went to the store to, uh, this week, and I turned something in. I kept the receipt because I knew something was coming on sale, and I got some money back. I was real excited, but man, I saw a new pair of shoes, and they were smoking. I can't believe that I don't have them on. It's a, and I tell you, one time in my life, I showed a little restraint. Says I, I can't spend it right now, but I ate well. My kids ate well. I mean, come on, sacrifice. I couldn't even find a place to put them in my closet. Probably. So there were those who didn't have any money. They couldn't feed their kids, and there were those who had homes. And you know what they had to do? They had to leverage their home for food. And they had to leverage their home for food, and, and they're upside down. How many of your homes are upside down right now? How many of your homes uh, don't have the value? I mean, how many of you right now owe more than what your home's worth? That's where they were. They, 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 couldn't, they couldn't eat, so they had to leverage their homes. And then it got worse. They couldn't pay their taxes. Couldn't pay Uncle Sam. King's taxes. And they had to borrow more money against their house. They had no money. And you know what it came to? They had to sell their kids. They had slavery. Their kids went into slavery. Uh, as a matter of fact, it says, it's kind of interesting. He says this. He said, our kids, some of our kids are already gone. And it talks about the daughters already being enslaved. And the word enslaved has this sexual connotation that, that these lusty men that are your own brothers have taken your daughters. And that's how you're paying your debts. And that's how you're living. Debts. Picture giving your daughter for someone to, to make ends meet and picture that being somebody here in the church. I mean, you'd be thinking, are you kidding me? So that's the cry that went out. That's the cry of injustice that, that filled the air. And that's what made Nehemiah really ticked. And he should have been ticked. You see, the reality is, is, is uh, we have to become a people who always hear the cry of the poor. And we have to make sure we align ourselves in a structure to do just that. And we're, we're trying to do that in so many ways. To help the powerless. But we got, we got to do all we can to make things right. Keller says this. The shalom of the peace of the world is broken. And there's an, there's an inequitable distribution of resources in the, this world. So true, isn't it? And therefore, if you have the goods of this world and you don't share those with those in need, you're especially your brothers and sisters, it's injustice. It's wrong. We can't just say we didn't hear. We can't just say we didn't know. You know, it's interesting in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says in the 25th chapter, he says, what we've done for the least of these, we've done for him. As a matter of fact, he tells a story. He says, you know, you saw me poor, you saw me naked, and, and you came and, and you clothed me and you fed me, you visited me in prison. And, and those who were righteous, those who were part of his family, say, I, we don't remember that, Jesus. I, when were you poor? And when were you naked? And, and when did we come see you in prison? And he said, listen, what you did to the least of these, what you did to those who were poor, what you did to those who were powerless, he, you did it for me. And then amazingly, this is how God separates those who get it and those who don't. I mean, the ones that were banished into hell were the ones that when they saw the poor, they saw the, the helpless, they saw the need, they didn't really see, you know? They didn't really hear. They didn't help. And Jesus said, what you haven't done for the least of these, you haven't done for me. 
I love the fact that God in Psalm 34 says he hears the cry of the poor. So one of the ways we're going to do is we're going to try to get together and hear each other's cries better. It's one of this whole thing that community groups are starting. One of the ways we're going to try to be better connected so we can hear each other's cries. You know, they say if a, a tree falls in the forest and no one's there, does it really make a noise? Well, you know, when someone falls in church and no one's there to catch them, do they really still cry? You know the truth, they do. So we're going to try to get together and do that. We got things like deacons funds that help one another in times of need. And I tell you, the Holy Spirit uh, just welled up in my heart getting ready for this message and got permission to share this with Katie. I mean, we just got convicted saying, man, let's just put a monthly, let's, let's fill out a form that gets monthly to the deacons fund. So we did, not a lot, but just to say, you know what? I, I never want to not hear the cry of the poor because that's what God's called us to. And, and, and I, I, they've helped me. The deacons fund's been amazing help for us at times, especially through Katie's cancer deal. So I, I want to make sure that I'm hearing and responding and doing it right. And so deacons fund, it's, it's a great opportunity to, us to continually help one another. Mercy Ministries, I mean, all we do, restore and true life choice, so many ways to hear the cry of the voice of the poor and, and help. Mission trips, uh, uh, Honduras just got back. What an amazing trip. Uh, we have folks at Casa Hogar uh, right now um, and more coming. Uh, Saul Cruz in Mexico City. What a great way for us to make sure that we're fighting for justice and mercy and doing well. You all right? Have I lost you? Um, uh, can I, uh, give me five more minutes, okay? I'm, I'm not going to get through what I got to do, but it's okay. But, but I think there's something important here. Because not only do we got to become a church that hears the cry of the poor, we have to be a church that, that repents well and restores well. And it's amazing what, what Nehemiah tells us in verses 6 through 13 um, about righteous anger and different things. I mean, as a church, we should have righteous anger. Uh, when Nehemiah heard this, he was angry. Uh, he was angry, and we should be angry over the things that break God's heart. Um, God is holy and just, and we've got to be close enough to the stories to really hear them. I mean, we love the stories. Can't, Casey Anthony trial, do we love the stories? Do we love juicy stories? You know we do. I mean, it's amazing how we, somebody said, I get so addicted to this stuff. But it's amazing, we, we can be addicted to the stories of brokenness and not be moved to help. It can become entertainment. Shame on us, right? I mean, shame on us if, if stories of brokenness are more about entertaining than less about us responding. And, and really having a broken heart. You know, my home state's New York, and I love it, and they just legalized gay marriages. And I think at the church, we got a really difficult situation here. Because what do we do? Because if anybody should be leading with love, it's us. If anybody should be loving those who are hurting and those who are marginalized, it's us, right? And if there's anybody who should be standing up for truth, it's us. So what do we do? I mean, we gotta see it's, it's not God's way. It's never been God's way. And we can say equality, we can say all that stuff, but listen, it breaks God's heart. It really does. It's not his intention. I mean, we, we got to love those in that lifestyle, but, but we ought to really just weep over what God weeps for. He says, I, I created man and woman. I created them to come together and the two to be one. And we can't get around God's word not calling sin, sin, and an abomination, and abomination. And we got this job, and the church is so good at throwing stones. The church is so good at judging. This church is so good at ridiculing. I'm not saying this church. I'm saying the church. And we're often so poor at leading with grace and mercy and love, which we got to do, but we got to have both, folks, okay? We got to lead with love and mercy and justice, but we also got to stand for truth. And we also got to be able to stand up and say, it breaks God's heart and therefore it breaks mine. I mean, I, I, I ask God's forgiveness for my state. I'm like, I'm sorry, God. 
you know, he, Nehemiah gives us a couple of classic things that, that they're so practical. He waits, he, 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 he waits when he's angry. He says he took counsel in of, him, of himself. That's kind of arrogant, but it's pretty cool. He took counsel of himself. He was so angry, but what did he do? He waited. If, you, if, if you're really ticked, there's a great practical thing. Wait. Ask God to come in. Think of Jesus when he was confronted by this woman caught in adultery and they asked him what he wanted to do and he's just all tank, angry because he sees that their hypocrisy and all that. He goes down and he starts writing in the sand. Just waiting. God, give me, give me your presence and your wisdom. So when you're angry, it's the best thing to do is to wait and ask God to help. But then he has the courage to confront Nehemiah confronts those in power. He goes to the nobles and the leaders and he says, listen, what you've done is wrong. He quotes scripture. I'm not going to be able to quote. He tells them what you're doing is not good. The rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poor. This stinks and God hates it. He tells them, you guys have not, you've lost your fear of God. He's called you to this and look what you're doing. And you're giving your, your enemies all this ammunition. And God's people say, you're right. And they repent. So here's the deal. When it comes to a church, we got to be fighting for justice. And when it comes to our sin and injustice, we got we to make sure that we have a righteous anger. Not only that, we have a righteous anger. We also got to make sure that we take some time to wait and seek God's face. And then not only that, uh, we really got to have the courage to confront. Confront one another in sin. It's, it takes courage. It takes courage, especially leaders. And then by God's enabling grace, they repent. I mean, as they repent, first of all, they said nothing. They didn't make excuses. You can never truly repent if you're making an excuse. They were silent. They had nothing to say. It says they couldn't find words. Isn't that cool? They could not find words. Uh, they, they were convicted. The Holy Spirit convicted and they were silent. If you're making excuses, you're not repenting of things in your life. And then they say that we're not going to make provisions for sin. They abandon what they were doing. True repentance is turning from it. If you're in a habitual sin, do everything you can to abandon it. As Romans uh, 13, 14 says, make no provision for the flesh. If you're really repenting, turn. Restore what is broken. I love that. They gave it all back to make it real, to make it right establish accountability. They brought the priest in, and for us, we're the priesthood of all believers, but they got somebody in their life to be able to say, will you help me and be accountable here? Because I'm messing up. And they did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Listen to my last thought. A watershed moment for me was sitting in Dr. Walke's Proverbs class and going through a Hebrew word, um, and seeing that word that we can tra we translate righteous or righteousness and, and, and unpacking that and just realizing, especially in the context of Proverbs, but in a lot of the Old Testament, that righteousness is, is disadvantaging yourself for the advantage of the community. Did you hear that? That righteousness was, was a godly fear that caused you to, to disadvantage yourself so that you can be a blessing for others. And I'm thinking, wow, talk about railing against the American dream. Talking about going opposite of everything we're taught because we're really taught, look out for number one. Do everything you can to make your life happy. It's all about you. And you think about righteousness in the Bible. Are you kidding me? It's basically saying, do nothing out of a selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing. Listen, if you want to be righteous like Jesus who was was rich and emptied himself so that we could become 
rich through his poverty. I mean, that's, that's the model of righteousness. And that's what God has called us to. And so you have Nehemiah here who, had, who was entitled to much more than he took. He was entitled to a better banquet table. He was entitled to more things. He says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to burden the people. Not only that, I'm going to pay for it myself. And look who's around his table. It's not just the Jews. It's those who were on the outside from other nations. I mean, what an amazing picture of righteousness. I mean, the dude gets really angry with the injustice inside the camp. And he can't believe that his own people have got their kids in sex slavery. And they're taking advantage of the poor. They're lining their pockets. And Nehemiah is saying, look at me. I'm not even taking what I'm entitled to. For the glory of God. You know what? That story preaches. And, 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 and that kind of life changes culture and families, you know? And when churches say it's for Christ and his kingdom, it's not about us. And we're not going to live up to the entitlement. And we're going to do like kind of that JFK thing, not ask what your church can do for you, but what you could do for your church. Or more importantly, not ask God, well, what can you do for me? But, but God, you've given me so much. What can I do to advance Christ's kingdom? Tell you, we start we start living this way, and we start hearing the cry of the poor even next to us, and, and next to us in our neighborhood, and in our community, in our world, and we we respond, and we set up structures that help them and not take from them, and we're not lining our own pockets and caring about our own self, and it's amazing how consumed of self we we just don't see the concentration camps around us. God help us. But we could be like Nehemiah and say, God, you've made me rich in Christ Jesus. I got so much. I got so much. I don't want to live entitlement anymore. I, I, I want to live on mission for you. And I just want to give. Change the world. Change the world. Who has God called you to, to empower? Who is poor and broken around you? Whose cry are you supposed to be listening to? What sin are you to be repenting of? Truly repenting. And are you living righteously? Are you living selfishly? Let's pray. Father, what a morning. Wow. But God, uh, I thank you for it. I thank you for uh, Nehemiah who led in much harder situation than I just had to try to preach in. That's nothing. But God, the truth is, is we're so selfish. God, forgive the preacher for his just incredible self-consuming attitude. And God, we just look out for number one, and that's not even you, it's us. And God, we're, we're, we could be so like those people right next to brokenness like a concentration camp and say, ah, I didn't hear, I didn't know. God, we're your people. We don't have that right. <laughs> You've opened our ears. You've given us ears to the truth so that we, like you, God, can hear the cries of the poor. And not just hear, but to act on it. And to restore that which was broken and lost. And, and to say, no more will we act this way. To be like Nehemiah and say, I want to live, I want to live righteously. I, I want to disadvantage myself for King Jesus. Because man, did he disadvantage himself on that cross for me. And God, if we get this, if we, if we, if we can live this, I mean, the world's going to change. Because this is the power of your love. Come, Holy Spirit, and give it to us in Christ's name. Amen.